the there's, that we there's all kinds out. of reasons for yeah. making bad decisions. Um, and, and, <laughs> but the thing is, I, I think the, the one of the principles. Is Hello and welcome to episode 124 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is the marketing, and the F is the well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott. I'm no rock star, but I've picked up a thing or two over the last 20 years on my tour from techie to CMO and trusted advisor, and each week I chat to the true rock stars, my fabulous guests and chums, and share with you some marketing street knowledge that I hope will inspire your inner rock star. Come say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn and proud members of the Marketing Podcast Network. This episode was recorded on Friday the 22nd of July. Thanks for joining us. I hope you've had a good week and you are well, safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. On this week's episode, Jeff Clark is back in the marketing studio. Sadly, my guest had to postpone, so I'll share some thoughts about brand and I'll wind down the week in Rockstar CMO Virtual Bar with my chum Robert Rose for a cocktail and a marketing thought. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. <laughs> As I mentioned, sadly, my guest this week had to postpone due to a neighbour's contractor slicing through their internet connection. So Joyce Young, head of marketing at Surat Technologies, will be with us on the 6th of August. So this gives me some time to share a thought. I haven't done this for a while. Recently, I was invited to join Experience Advisors, a community made up of digital experience strategists, business storytellers, idea sparkers and perennial students of business change, according to their website, or just an interesting bunch of people. You may have heard us mention it on the podcast as my rockstar CMO virtual bar drinking buddy, Robert Rhodes, leads the band. We had our first Zoom get-together last week, hosted by Robert and his co-conspirator, Kathy McKnight, who has also recently been on the podcast, and he chucked us a topic, the future of brands. Branding is a popular topic on our podcast. It's one of our five effing marketing fundamentals that Jeff and I have talked about before, and we'll be touching on it in, this, in his segment this week. Anyway, Robert asked me to do a quick fire starter, so I prepped some notes and after the event shared them on the Rockstar CMO blog. In my opinion, the need to build a brand, or more specifically, to build brand awareness, will regain its place at the center of marketing and will need to change. Maybe I should caveat that as I'm speaking from a B2B perspective, where you're obsessed with measurable activities like PPC, where you put money in and you very quickly see a result. It may not be the desired result, but you can't say you didn't do the thing and see something. Brand building is harder to measure. Not to say you can't, just it tends to fall into the dusty old Wanamaker quote, I know half of my marketing is working, I just don't know which half. And it's way easier to go back to count how many people attended a webinar, clicked on something or opened an email. 
As I considered the topic of the future of brands and brand building, I thought about some trends we are all seeing in marketing and how brand is a marketing multiplier in whatever you are doing. For example, if you're building an organic following on social, it isn't what it once was as the platforms drive us to pay promotion. So if I, as a consumer, am going to tweet about a product and contribute to a brand's organic reach, I will need to have an affinity with the brand to tell my tribe I like, or maybe even I am like, this brand and the people behind it. It's the same with paid search and social. These are getting more expensive, especially in busier categories, and only the house wins. If I'm running a paid search campaign jostling for expensive positions with a crowd of competitors, why would they click on our ad? It may be some clever copy, but more likely that would be brand. In the world of Amazon, price and convenience are less of a differentiator. Consumers can choose from endless products delivered immediately. I know, I recently needed a vacuum cleaner for my car. Do you know how many vacuum cleaners were available to be delivered to my house the very next day? How do you choose? Consumers will choose on brand. If voice lives up to the hype, we will need our customers to ask for us by name, not by category. If I ask computer, as that's what we call Alexa in our house, I need a new pair of sneakers, Nike will very much prefer me to ask for them by name. Computer, I need a new pair of Nike Air Max, not just say sneakers. The truth is brand drives everything. A strong brand will yield commercial results in each marketing activity. Plus, in a world of privacy, trust as a brand attribute will become more critical as consumers will only share information with those they trust. And that old Wanamaker quote comes to mind here too, as we are likely to find darkness where once there was oodles of audience behavioural data and measurement will become trickier as consumers keep their data. This puts marketers in a difficult place, especially in B2B, where marketing has been coin-operated. We attribute all of our marketing activities to revenue, tend to focus on mid to bottom of the funnel and have to justify our budgets on this basis. So we need to invest or go back to investing in brand awareness. And while, while you can measure it, maybe we also need to go back to the old school and we won't know which half is working. That's my thoughts on brand for now and an excuse for me to play Think About It by Patra featuring Lynn Collins from Okay, on to our newly branded segment, The Marketing Studio with Jeff Clark. If you're new to the show, Jeff is an experienced marketing leader and former Forrester and Serious Decisions Research Director. Let's see what he's got for us in the studio this week. Welcome back, Jeff Clark, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you, my friend? I am doing great. It's it's been uh, nice taking a couple of weeks off, but I'm so glad to be back. Ah, oh, man, it's so good to see you. Um, I was slightly disparaging about you, I must admit, when I had Kathy on and said she was an upgrade, but you know where my allegiance is truly <laughs> lies. <laughs> it's fabulous to have you back on, Jeff. And it was great catching up with you just now before we hit record. Always a pleasure. So we've got a couple of things to cover. Firstly, uh, you had a great break. How's the weather today? The weather has been hot, but um, compared to the rest of the world, New England um, is mm-hmm. bearable. 
So uh, I'll just go with that. Hot and sunny. <laughs> Could use a little more rain. Other than that, well, I'm not going to complain. Well, as the widely reported mm. heat wave that we had for a couple of days, we're, uh, we're back to bearable as well. So that's good. So I've renamed this slot uh, as the, the marketing studio. Yeah, I did that. I like that. Uh, where, are the, where, are the, uh, <laughs> where are the backup singers and the, where's the drum kit yes. and all that kind of stuff? I have my yes, guitar on so, the back here, but I... Yeah, no, we should get that out. Awesome. All right, so, so Jeff, in the marketing studio today, what are we going to break down? We're going to talk about product, or basically brand naming, but inside the guise of you know naming your company, naming products, mm. kind of an extension of the brand fundamentals that we you know kicked off earlier this year so um, yeah so yeah this is another piece of it so i want to go over some fundamentals and then we may come back to this uh topic because the more i was looking at it and thinking about it, the more i was like oh this is big so where should we start so you and i i shouldn't really be clapping but you and i uh usually both of us and a lot of this show we talk about b2b a lot right so one of the things uh, when we look at brand um, and I think a lot of our listeners are from B two B. What's the is, is are these fundamentals going to be the same for B two C as B two B? What are the challenges we have in B two B? Yeah, I think so. I think one of the the really basic things, which you know, early in certainly in my career, um, was something I had to learn, and which was was tough for everybody else in marketing to learn. Which was the brand is really the brand that's important that you want to invest in is the company brand because mm-hmm. in B2B buyers, uh, you know, they're interested in the relationship with the vendor. They're not right. as they're, it's not like they're, they're buying a product, which just happens to be, you know, produced by, you know, a, a certain company or vendor. Um, and you know, you're, you're more focused on what the product is than, than the, you know, than the than the vendor. In, in this case, it's like your relationship is with from one business to another business. And in most B two B companies, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you've got multiple products. And and so if you if you start, you know, trying to create unique proprietary names for every product you've got in your in mm-hmm. your toolkit, then you're just going to confuse the heck out of the customer. Right. Um, right. So just to clarify that, so so in B two C. We're more focused on building a brand around a product, in it, and then in B two B, we need to build a brand around our company. Right, and and the thing is, right. you got to think about it. It's you know, I mean, it takes investment dollars to to mm-hmm. build a brand. I mean, whether it's about yeah. the packaging, advertising, marketing campaigns, you know, you, you know, whatever, whatever you're going to invest the money in, it you have to invest to build a brand. And so, yeah. if if um, as in, you know, with a BDC company, I remember having a, you know, a, a really interesting conversation with a guy who was involved in brand at Kraft, the food products manufacturer. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and he was talking about the thought process they went through in terms of when um, it's definitely a Kraft product that's, you know, Kraft on the label, Kraft cheese or something like that. Or mm-hmm. when it's such and such like, uh, you know, so-and-so ice cream, which just happens to be produced by Kraft. And then when it's like they don't want any mention of craft anywhere, right. you know, it's so he was like the the emphasis is always on the product, and then we sort of weigh together, you know, what the what the craft brand means versus vis a vis the the product brand. So in B two B, it's like you really 
you want to do you want to put your effort into the corporate brand since that's where the relationship yeah. is established is company to company and then you want yeah. your product naming to be easy to understand you want people to go right. oh i'm dealing with I mean, you get some of these gigantic companies like an SCP or IBM mm-hmm. that just have mm-hmm. Oracle, so many different products. And it's like, you've got to yeah. make it as easy to navigate that portfolio as possible. Yeah. Right, right. And so, so, but, so and it sounded like there in B2C, and maybe this is also true, true in B2B, particularly where B2B companies acquire companies, is that that above brand so what you were saying there with craft is sometimes the brand attributes of craft are appropriate for this product but sometimes the brand attributes of craft are not appropriate for this product presumably because it indicates it's a value brand or yeah, it may, it may be know, they're, or not they're, a they're premium. trying to get yeah they're trying to get right. you know have a premium brand premium. and they may say yeah. the craft you know the craft right. image is more you know Big, right. you know, gigantic, huge company, food processor, you know, right. um, more generic type products or whatever. Yeah. And so but they, we don't they want to disassociate that. Right. And then you're building a whole new brand. Yeah. Whereas in whereas what you're saying in B2B, even if you've got a strong sub brand, the company brand is still the important thing you need to focus on. Correct. Correct. Right. And right. and right. you and again, people got to keep in mind, it's all about the investment. So. If yeah. you get to some of the, you know, large, well-established companies, and certainly in our, you know, where we work yeah. in software, you know, that was typically IBM, SAP, Oracle, Microsoft. Yeah. And so when they, you know, when they acquire companies that have a solid brand themselves, you know, like mm-hmm. when IBM mm-hmm. acquired Lotus or SAP acquired Concur, then it's like, okay, mm-hmm. we're going to, we're going to keep that. Uh, right. And we need to make a decision about... Um, how long we're going to keep that. And if for some reason that is really highly, you know, it's a, the, it has highly positive brand attributes like occur about, you know, uh, expense management, stuff like that. Then it's like, well, you know, we're, we're probably going to keep that for, you know, the long term or at least until we need to make a decision. If it's neutral, you know, um, Mm -hmm. you may decide that you're going to, you're going to sunset that brand name. You're going to keep it. Like if, like when Oracle bought Eloqua, you know, they yeah. needed to keep the customer set. And so they, mm. they kept the name Eloqua until they, they sort of mm. uh, enveloped it into their marketing suite. And then they came up with mm-hmm. a whole new sort of naming mm. convention. Uh, and now you don't see Eloqua, um, uh, yeah. you know. I'd love to, I think this would be an interesting topic to dig into, actually, in the future, Jeff, yeah. because I think if you're a B2B organizer, and I've been through this a number of times, and I'm going through it right now, is is you acquire a company, and I've seen various different approaches. One just rips off the Band-Aid, and from yeah. day one, the product name almost, they try to kill it. And then other times, you the problem, I think, sometimes in B2B companies, if you keep both brands, then the employee brand becomes the problem because people see themselves not as SAP or yes. IBM, whatever it is. They see themselves in this little tribe. That's a whole other topic. Well, and that's a... But I think... Yeah. It, I have a comment every founder, back to that, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah. But every founder of every acquired company or every leader of every acquired company believes they have brand equity, right? Absolutely. But I'd like, you know, I think maybe we should, we should chat about that one time about how do you actually understand brand equity? Because everybody believes they've got it, haven't they? Absolutely. So I think that's, that, I think that that's is a good follow up. And, and I, you know, yeah. one of the experiences I had um, where I did a lot of work on brand naming was, or in product mm. naming was at uh, Progress. And at one point, Progress Software um, yeah. had acquired 
I mean, they acquired many, many, many companies because they're a profitable mm-hmm. company and they have always used their profits mm-hmm. to, you know, actually do more acquisition <laughs> than they did investing yeah. in their, in their, more of their historical products. And, yeah. um, you know, we, at one point we had like six companies with, you know, which, which thought that the, I mean, the people that came with that company thought, well, we have more brand equity yeah. than progress does. Our brand name yeah. means something positive. Yeah. Progress means something yeah. old and clunky. And, yeah. and, the the problem with that is that is that if you I mean if you if you you sort of keep investing in that then um, you're never changing the perception no. of the company the main company you're always sort of like saying yeah. oh you know we'd we'd rather put these other yeah. brands forward than we want to put our company in yeah. well then you're never going to change the name or you're never going to change yeah. the brand value of the of the company name I've, which is a mistake. Yeah, and I think often the challenge there is normally a a, a um, targets and P and L challenge. I think sometimes because I think that you, you're the company is acquired, they have a target for uh, an earnout, for example, and they don't want anybody fucking with that, oh. right? So they think that they believe in their hearts they've got brand equity. They believe that that is part of their value proposition. They believe that will bring them revenue, and they believe that changing that is going to affect their earnout, yeah. right? So I think that's some of the stuff there's, that we there's need There's all to kinds of reasons for yeah. making bad decisions. Um, and, <laughs> and, but the thing is, I, I think the, the, one of the principles is you don't want internal issues to be getting mm. in the way of making good external brand yeah. decisions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so we'll come back another time to how you actually make those decisions in terms of yep. um, acquiring brands. It's quite a niche topic, I suppose, yep. but I think it's uh, could be quite interesting. Yep. But like you say, we've seen it with with companies like IBM, Lotus, and SAP Concur, and and others. And then we see other examples. I think when Sitecore acquired uh, a digital asset management solution, very quickly it became um, Content Hub for them. Yes. Right? They did. They they pretty much moved away from from the brand that they that they'd acquired so if we're going through that process as a b2b marketer so we're 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 building out our our, our proposition and we're we've now got our main brand which is where we're going to focus because you told us to jeff and um, what are we going to do what do we do and if you the, don't want to, if you don't do that i want to hear about it no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i mean the, the the title of this section we're going to talk about product naming as well so what what do we do about the those sub brands how best should we approach yeah those? i mean the product product should be descriptive so mm-hmm. you know you think about amazon web services versus amazon prime or microsoft mm-hmm. cloud versus microsoft xbox i was yeah. all interesting when i was i was look, looking in kind of the history because i remember when microsoft came out with azure which was their yeah. cloud offering and so they actually yeah. put out a you know a proprietary you know unique name you know, to gather mm-hmm. some some market momentum, uh, and yeah. and Microsoft is an anomaly to to a large extent because it, it's it's such a combination of business to business and business mm-hmm. to consumer, and so mm-hmm. so there you know there are lots of exceptions in the Microsoft world, um, yeah. but but you know I saw they evolved to basically Microsoft Cloud, you know, so it's like everybody mm-hmm. else, you know, you got Google Cloud, you know, it's like everybody's got yeah. a cloud offering, and so let's just yeah. call it that. Um, and 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 the, 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 there's two key reasons for that. One is which I already mentioned, which is you got to think about. It takes money to build brand, mm-hmm. uh, and so mm-hmm. where are you going to put your money? Uh, if you're Microsoft, you have a lot more leeway <laughs> than if you're most <laughs> most of the companies that certainly yeah, yeah. I work for. 
Um, and the other thing is that, is that the customer or the prospect, I mean, they, they can only hold so much in their heads. And Mm -hmm. so the, so the thing is you don't want to complicate it. And, and, and certainly, I mean, I worked for companies that, that, you know, went from having kind of one core product to then having two or three products, then, Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden you've got maybe a dozen offerings with then, you know, add-ons and subcomponents. And, And certainly one of the mistakes you know, I, we made early at, at progress, and I see they're continuing to make that mistake. By the way, is that <laughs> is that we were trying to come up with unique names for, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, an application management, uh, you know, solution mm-hmm. that's a that's an add on to the core application development yeah. platform, and it's like, well, that really is a. I mean, it's again, it's a waste of money, and mm-hmm. then people say, well, so what's this versus this, you know, yeah. and 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 so the more you can make things descriptive, it's like, okay, I'm going to yeah. Amazon, and, you know, I'm, I'm in the business-to-business side of Amazon, or the business-business side of Google, I, how yeah. I navigate all the things you guys can offer, so the more descriptive you make things, yeah. the easier for me to understand what it is, how you're positioning it vis-a-vis, well other products yeah. in your portfolio and other products from competitors. Yeah, I mean, it's like the uh, Sitecore example I used, right, where they, where they, where they immediately uh, created a, the, you know, they, they stuck with Sitecore, but they went with Content Hub, right, which yeah. is a descriptor. So if you, were to hear, if you were in B2B and you heard the phrase uh, Sitecore Content Hub, you're going to have a fair idea of what that does, exactly. right? And, but I think that that might be where Microsoft, you, you know went wrong with azure because they created a sub-brand with azure and then you need to be educated well what does azure mean yeah. right whereas if like you say if you say microsoft cloud or you say google cloud you're like oh those must be very similar things yeah right? or at least they're, or they, <laughs> yeah. they're they sit in a category and yeah and yeah, yeah. the other thing is that when you go to the i mean you know this is like when you go to the google mm. uh, gartner magic quadrants and yeah. the forester waves and you're seeing yeah. people compare they, yeah. they always list the vendor they don't list the yeah, product that's name. True. And so, yeah. if, and and it it gets confusing when when you know a company acquires another company and they and they've kept the original company's product mm. name and you may see the two mm. of them show up on the you know the same yes. the same um, the same yeah. wave, but it's like the particularly like in you know with the Sitecore or with a lot of the companies that are in this um, yeah. web content management, digital asset management, market resource management. I mean, they're all trying to create platforms. So, yeah. and they want you to, if you've bought into the Sitecore WebCom management system, then they want yeah. you to, to feel that the, everything else that's in the portfolio is associated with that. So if you, if you continue with the unique brand name from either from the mm-hmm. acquired company or you've created it yourself, now yeah. all of a sudden there's a disconnect. So the customer is like, well, why would, so do these two things work together? Uh, yeah, and yeah. even, even though like with Oracle and Eloqua, even though I think they early had a lot of issues with Eloqua fitting yeah. into the their marketing cloud. Um, at least yeah. the idea was that <laughs> you you knew they were yeah. on the path to making it part of a unified yeah. um, uh, system. Absolutely, and when um, you know one one of the uh, I had a conversation in my day job the other day, and it was like um, trying to get the client to ask the question: what What else can these guys do apart from what you sell them? Right? Yeah. If you're a, if you're a portfolio company like that, and I think that that kind of product naming helps. Oh, cool. Okay, they've got a you know they've got a email solution or they've got a content solution or whatever it is. And if you can make those those product names fairly simple, then your the strength is in the company yeah. brand because you're not wasting time uh, creating these sub brands, right? Yeah. So I think that's really interesting. 
But so why is it, do you think, that people do create these new names? I, new, and, well, and, you know, I think yeah. if, um, well, there's a couple a couple of good reasons. One of them is probably yeah. because people in marketing and in sales um, and sometimes in the product groups, I mean, they look to the consumer brands that they admire for their, right. their hints on what they're needed to do. So it's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, Apple did this and, you know, Microsoft did mm-hmm. that and, you know, and so you, you'd say, well, if they did that, then, you know, we should be able to do yeah. it. And that's like, well, you, you know, that's where you have to say time out, you know, in business yeah. to business, it's different than some of the people you're, we're comparing ourselves to. And you may, you yeah. may want to compare it to them for more, uh, or sorry, compare yourself to them from more of an emotional perspective. You know, I want the same kind of emotion yeah. that Apple provides, yeah. but that doesn't mean we're going to, instead of I, had, I everything, uh, we're going to go X everything and B everything, you know, yeah. something like that. I had, uh, yeah, I, I was um, talking web strategy with somebody the other day and um, a B2B example. And they were like, well, Coca-Cola does this. And you're like, oh, for fuck's sake. Really? <laughs> you know, well, like, the, the first thing no. is they go, give me Coca-Cola's marketing budget. I'll, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> I'll go do that. I'm with you, yeah. man. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, and I think as well, isn't it, there's sometimes that, that people build these new brands because they're sensitive about their corporate brand. They don't think the corporate brand quite fits this well, new cool niche or category they want to get into. Well, that was one of the interesting things that I was, you know, experienced in, or I experienced was in, yeah. so again, back at the early aughts when I was at Progress yeah. and, and people were not, at the company were not, they didn't feel, um, you know, that the core product, which was called the yeah. progress 4GL and database, uh, was, um, you know, it was not contemporary. It was not hot. You know, it lost the race against Oracle and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, yeah. and so one of the things we tried to do was to revitalize that core product. And we did give it mm-hmm. a unique name. Uh, we, we called it open edge and, and, mm-hmm. um, there was a positioning why that, made sense i won't get into the details of that but there was a positioning reason why that made sense and yeah. we you know we started with with naming the you know as a platform and then we went through and we changed the name of everything that's part of that platform you know app servers and blah blah mm-hmm. blah was the open edge you know app server the open edge database the open edge. yeah and yeah. um so again we were we were diverting from the you know putting the emphasis on the progress brand um but i mean the one thing that i would say is it did give it did give this you know traditional proprietary technology legs Mm -hmm. it still lasts till today it's still the thing that drives most of the revenue for the um the company yeah so um so you know there there can be exceptions but i think the thing is you've got to you got to have a really good reason why you're going to the exception. Right. And sometimes there are companies that will choose to be a, you know, what literally called a house of brands, you know, so we're, mm-hmm. we're thinking of ourselves as a holding company and we've got, you yeah. know, we've got product A, B, C, D, which all unique, different names, yeah. probably selling to different markets. Yeah. But when you start seeing they're actually selling to s- the same buyers or the same companies mm-hmm. with maybe different mm-hmm. departments within it, then you really have to ask yourself, you're spending a lot of money to maintain these different brands and and potentially confusing the customer and you could make yeah. it a lot simpler. And and you know, the investment is not just in advertising. I mean there's just there's just everything about the way the company conducts itself is part of yeah. Uh, uh, you know, showing your brand or projecting your brand, yeah. And so you yeah. gotta you gotta think about that as uh, as part of yeah. your investment, not just your ad and PR dollars. 
Yeah, absolutely. Especially where you were saying that there's that disconnect and then we're trying to create a brand new cool um, brand around a product, new product or feature when actually the parent brand, the company brand has a different set of brand attributes. And it's the people that are going to have to live those attributes and demonstrate those attributes, right? So that, that's, that's exactly, I agree completely with that, absolutely. Um, and then you get that disconnect with the consumer, don't you? Yeah, um, absolutely. And so so that's, and then that's complicated. I, I remember sitting in a conference room where the CEO of said company was like, oh my gosh, what are the, the developers going to do if we get rid of the the color and the logo and the yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, you know, I was just, I, I was just like, I don't know what to say because, you know, in two years they dumped the product. So it's like, well, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's a, that's a, uh, that's a nice tale to, to wind this down with. I'm just, just keeping an eye on the time. So, um, okay. So, uh, our third part of the gender item in the marketing studio is we'll play out with a song. What have you chosen for us this week? Jeff? Well, you know, one of the, uh, sort of truisms of uh, of advertising and, and branding is what's in a name, uh, you know, which mm-hmm. I think goes back to the Shakespeare reference of, you know, a rose by any other name is still a rose. Um, yeah. And But there, it was like there's a song by a group called Late Night Alumni, um, mm-hmm. which I can remember some nights like that after college. But anyway, um, <laughs> it's called What's in a Name? And it's it's a cool little song. And uh, the the, uh, the lead singer says, I guess it's a sin to lead you on. But anyway, what I say, it it sounds wrong. If I could have seen to this end, I'd do it all over again. I had a few <laughs> of those experiences in product naming, so I thought I would <laughs> share it with the, uh, the listeners. Splendid. Well, this was a new one on me. So what's in a name by Late Night Alumni from 2009? I'll be playing out with that, Jeff. And will you be in the marketing studio next week? I'll be in the studio. I'll bring all my equipment. I look forward to seeing you, mate. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you, Jeff. And that was What's in a Name by Late Night Alumni from 2009. Great to have Jeff back. Some interesting insights there on how to get started with your branding and a good observation on the difference between B2B and B2C. If you have any thoughts or feedback on this, please get in touch. We are Rockstar CMO just about everywhere. Right, it's Friday evening and where better than for us to kick off the weekend than the Rockstar CMO Virtual Bar. And join my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, Chief Troublemaker at the Content Advisory for a cocktail and a marketing thought. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. It is good to see you in the bar, and I'm hopeful that we can uh, keep things cool here because I think in both of our locations in the virtual bar, um, we have it is hot. Um, I know it has been hot where you live, and it is hot here too. Um, it, it's just crazy. It is crazy for you know um, 
you know, the amount of heat um, that is that is just unseasonable for you, for sure. For mm-hmm. for us here in Southern mm-hmm. California, it is, um, you know, it is, it is, yes. you know, it, it's July, right? But but, you know, the for for you, it's uh, it's a whole different thing. Um, yeah. So I have uh, mm-hmm. a drink tonight um, that will be good, I think, for the heat. And it's a drink, actually, that I got reintroduced to uh, last week, <clears throat> over the weekend, um, by a friend of mine who who saw it on the internet, and then it took me all the way back to my childhood back in Texas. And it's a yeah. uh, it's a drink called Ranch Water. And Ooh. so, Ranch Water, uh, you may be asking, what the hell is that? <laughs> I am. It is <laughs> it is as simple a drink as it gets, and it originated in Texas. And I used to have it, mm-hmm. you know. When I say a kid, I was, you know, I was, of course, of age, right? You know, to drink. Of course uh-huh. you were. Sure. Yeah. Were. Right, Robert. Of course you were. <laughs> you were of an age. Yeah. It was legal somewhere in that the world. That was, yes. I think that's the, that's the motto of Texas, I think, really, if these days is it's legal somewhere. Um, so, uh, but basically, it's the simplest drink ever, but it has a very particular set of ingredients, which is one, of course, your favorite Blanco uh, or silver variety of tequila, uh, meaning, you know, any, any good Blanco tequila, light tequila, clear, mild, etc. all those kinds of things that you would want in tequila. And the second is a, it's a, it's, it's a fizzy water, you know, a, a sparkling water, but it's a very specific sparkling water, which is called Topo Chico. And Topo Chico is, is a non-negotiable, uh, ingredient for the uh, for the ranch water, it's a Mexican uh, uh, sparkling water, and it's it's got a very particular taste. Uh, it's extra bubbly. It's very very. It's a very very effervescent water. Um, but um, but the key is is that it's got a lot of minerals. It gives it a lot of minerality in the in the water, and you can definitely taste a taste the difference. It's almost like a soda water in in terms of its uh, minerality. And so it's Topo Chico and then your Blanco tequila. Uh, and then, you know, I mean, a little dash of fresh lime juice, if you, if you so wish, um, you know, just a lime wedge, really just throw it in there. And there you go. That's, that's ranch water. And it is the perfect antidote to a very hot day and having to be outside. Right. So I'm going to attempt to make a ranch water. Using the ingredients of my desktop bar, so let's have a look. So you start. <laughs> I, 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 it's it's very interesting to me to hear ranch water pronounced with an English accent, right? The ranch, oh. <laughs> ranch water, ranch, ranch water. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to start off with uh, what we've established is the most English of uh, Blanco tequilas. I didn't think you were that keen on Blanco tequila. Yeah, it, well, it's if close. June will be close to a Blanco tequila, yeah. It's... Okay, good, good. Well, good, good slug. Oh, do we put ice in? We must do on a hot day like this, right? Oh, yes. You definitely want ice, ice in, in this drink. This is a I've, I've this is for a cool, the cool down after a hot summer's day outside working on the ranch. All right. And I have opened my version of Topo Chico. We can't get Topo Chico here, weirdly enough. But the good people at, uh, at Fever Tree do their very best to provide us with the most sparkling of water. It's sparkling tonic water. Ah, yes. And, you know, you put a little wedge of lime in. The nice people here have put in a nice little bit of cucumber in it. So ah, that's, yes. Mm. Ooh, let's give this a taste. 
That would be the mm. English ranch water, I suppose, a gin and, a gin and tonic. English, <laughs> an English ranch water. Yeah. I'm going to say the most English way. That's jolly decent. Yeah. <laughs> nice English ranch water. Marvellous. Tally-ho. Marvellous. <laughs> Tally-ho. I could drink one of these every single day. I think Thank you, you might, much, yes. Though. And we're calling that a ranch water. Very nice. And where should we be drinking uh, ranch? Are we going to be drinking it on the ranch? We will, yes. We will drink it on the ranch. We will go out to a place uh, in West Texas. Um, So there is a place uh, out there. And it's a place where I I, I used to go as a kid um, in the summer times. And I, uh, when one of my summer jobs when I was a kid was to... Uh, the classic riding fences um, and for cowboys the riding fences meant you got on a horse and you would mm-hmm. ride up and down the fences and you would repair the fence basically that's what riding fences is all about um, and so one of my jobs in the summer when I was a kid was to go out to West Texas on these ranches and um, and walk the fences and 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 uh, and repair them. Now we often did it in a jeep rather than on horseback. We did it on horseback <laughs> too, but most of the time because the ranch is so big, you do it you do it in a in a jeep, um, and you drive the fences rather than really ride the fences. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I think we go out to West Texas uh, where it's ungodly hot but beautiful, um, yes. and we're out in the desert and we can uh, uh, and enjoy some of these ranch waters. Nice. Well. Um, you're, you've got me on Yellowstone, so um, ah, got good for you. Yes, head, excellent. But much hotter. Yes, <laughs> it is definitely hotter in Texas than it is in uh, in. I think they're in Idaho, aren't they? Yeah, uh, Montana. Montana. Sorry. Yep. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Well, we're we're. I think it's probably finished for you, hasn't it? You've watched them all. And I have. I have. I have finished the the. Yeah. I'm I'm eagerly awaiting the new season because I've finished all four yeah. seasons. Oh, wow. Yeah, we're still in the first season. Well, I mean, England isn't in the first season. It's been around a while. It's just that I've been meaning to get around to watching it based on your recommendation. And we only just died a few weeks ago. So, nice. So that's actually, we might be into seven or eight, actually. It's probably longer than I thought it was. So, yes, it's, it's, it's a jolly good show. Anyway, we're not here to talk about the television. We're sitting, uh, watching, we're probably watching people in their Jeeps going up, doing the, uh, do, doing the, the fence riding. That, uh, that we wouldn't be doing, would we? Because we're going to sit here and drink these, I think, and we're going to talk about um, talk about marketing. Do you think? Indeed, I think we. I mean, <laughs> and this week it's a little bit uh, it, it's a little bit different because um, mm-hmm. it's a little broader, I think, maybe um, mm-hmm. than marketing. But it is about it, it is ultimately about marketing because. So, I don't know about you, um, but. I've really noticed that there's an interesting trend going on with experiences. Um, mm-hmm. And it's this idea of, uh, you know, it, what it reminds me of is this sort of old phrase that we've come to sort of take as for granted as marketers. I mean, every marketer has heard this, right? Do more with less, right? Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we, we, we hear it. I mean, it's like a drumbeat literally over the last 25 years, it's always do more with less. You're going to do more with less. But the interesting thing is that it doesn't correlate to like weird economic times, right? In other words, you see, you see companies saying do more with less in great times, you know, when marketing budgets get cut or you see in bad times, it not happening. Right. And, and Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's very interesting that what I've noticed though, right now is that there's this 
weird, odd behavior that's going on in terms of the kinds of customer experiences that are happening, right? You know, so talent, for example, really hard to come by. But, yes. you know, everybody's got a job, but it feels weirdly like we're going to head into some recession, you know, some bad economic yes. environment. Business profits are an all-time high, yet weirdly, most businesses are in this austerity kind of, of mode, you mm -hmm. know. And there's this weird delivery of customer experiences that is resulting from this. Um, and so, for example, I, 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 I did some traveling recently. Mm -hmm. I check into a room. And on check-in, upon check-in to this hotel, the clerk behind the desk says to me, very matter-of-factly, um, by the way, your room's not going to get cleaned at all while you're here. Um, that's our new policy. And uh, you can, you know, we, we will clean it if you, on the day you want to clean it, call down to, uh, oh. the, you know, to housekeeping to have it cleaned. Um, also, yeah. you're not going to get any fresh towels or any, you know, other soap or anything like that unless you need it. And you should call housekeeping to do that as well yeah. on the day that you actually need it. Now, I get it, right? I get it that the... Um, and this is just one example, right? The, this, this is happening yes. in travel. It's happening in restaurants. It's happening in many of the stores that we go into these days, sort of this, you know, there's, there's short staff. They're challenged with creating a more efficient operation. I totally get that. I will note, however, that this hotel chain that I stayed in has a 34% increase in revenue from 2020 to 2021 mm -hmm. and a 103% increase in revenue last year. So. Right. Let, and you look at I yeah mean, so i'm paying more, more. Well, i'm paying yeah. more for this yeah. room and getting less yeah. right so that's yeah. the more with less idea and so my problem mm -hmm. isn't that they weren't going to clean my room as a marketing guy mm -hmm. the, my problem isn't that they weren't going to clean my room my problem is is that what they've done is to institutionalize a degraded experience in other words yes. instead of repositioning it all they had to do all they had to do was to, to position this in a better way is to say something like, ah, Mr. Rose, thank you so much for your loyalty and checking in today. We're trying to do better by the environment and our natural resources. Yeah. Can you tell me on which days of your four-day stay here would you prefer your room to be cleaned? We can do it once, twice, or not at all. And mm -hmm. let me choose, right? Give me, it's like, oh, turn it into a benefit, right? Yes. It, it's such an easy thing to do, but why do businesses... Um, you know, inst instantly institutionalize the degraded experience. Why do they do that? Because it's easier. Because they've been told to do more with less, what they're doing is emphasizing the do more activity with less resources. Yeah. And so they're, they're sort of, you know, they're sort of defaulting to the easy way out instead of doing that. Because you can see in the sort of exchange that I just sort of made up, obviously, how that could <laughs> That could be turned into a marketing benefit. It could be turned into content. It could be turned into a better customer experience. It could be told into anything that gives them differentiation. But no, what they did was they turned it, you know, they, they basically made more activity available by just focusing on the fact that they had less resources. And so ultimately, I think there's a real opportunity here for us to differentiate in the ways that we create customer experiences by emphasizing the right word. When we hear do more with less, what we want to hear and what we should be doing is how do I get more creative? How do I start institutionalizing more on a better and a more innovative customer experience with less effort, 
less, you know, yeah. with the, you know, whatever it happens to be. In other words, use the opportunity of less resources in this particular case to be more innovative and more creative and more, you know, differentiated rather than just defaulting to more activity because we're trying to do it with less resources. Yeah, no. and I, I also was thinking about the that example was um, operationally, it'd be better for the hotel to know which days you wanted your room changed two days ahead of time, right? If they're if they're scheduling their staffing, than if you're phoning down on the day going, how about today? Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, yeah, but we're seeing that everywhere, aren't we? And that and particularly post pandemic in the travel industry, isn't it? That we now need to accept worse. And I, and I wonder how bad things need to get for us to go, well, fuck this traveling malarkey. <laughs> this is just horrible. I mean, it's the same in the airport, isn't it? And it's the same on the planes. It is. It's the same everywhere, yeah. right? I mean, I, I literally had a, a, you know, Delta Airlines has put in a new policy where uh, you are, you based on the fact that there's been a lot more consumer vacation-oriented travel rather than business travel mm -hmm. in terms of what's happened, They've reacted to that by taking the airline clubs and they now have a new policy which says you can only go in the airline club if you have a membership and you can only stay for three hours, right? In other words, if right. you can, you come in, you can only come in if you're within a three-hour window of your flight leaving. And what they're trying to do, obviously, is, you know, mitigate the cost of people coming in with their families and eating mm -hmm. all the cake and drinking all the coffee and drinking all the soda and mm -hmm. then leaving, right? Mm -hmm. Or staying and yeah. camping out in the in the airline clubs. And yeah. so what's happened is, is that business travelers are, are showing up because they want to do some work before their flight or on, they're on a long layover or whatever it happens to be. And they're being told, they're being turned away, right? Because, oh, your flight's not within three hours, you, you can't come in. And yeah. instead, just because, and what they've done is they've institutionalized it to the point where there's a machine that you basically scan your ticket and they basically say you can come in or not. Instead of just changing the experience slightly, like literally putting a human into it, giving them the ability mm -hmm. to say, use creativity, do something innovative. And as somebody comes in and is a business traveler, they're clearly alone. They're clearly a loner with yeah. a laptop. And yeah. they scan their ticket and it says, ah, this, their flight's going to leave in three hours and five minutes. They go, please, sir, come in. Welcome to the club, right? Yeah. You know, if a family yeah. of 10 walks in, same thing, <laughs> and their flight's yeah. five hours away, clearly they're yeah. looking at, you know, camping out yeah. there. It's like, sorry, that's, you know, this the club is meant, you know, for temporary stays and blah, blah, blah. Change the yeah. experience, optimize the experience for your loyal customers. Yeah. Don't, don't institutionalize the degradation of the experience simply because it's easier right? Don't right. shift responsibility to technology. It's the whole, you know, oh, I can't do that. My, you know, the computer won't let me do that. Right. Mm -hmm. And it, and it's like, mm -hmm. ah, it's, it, there's just so much more to do there. Yeah. Yeah. I need to think about this because I'm thinking about how, how we, I mean, we must do this in B2B. I mean, these are great examples with travel, isn't it? Cause we can all relate to those, but I'm wondering like your clients or, 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 you know, my own, uh, my own work is, what are those kinds of experiences where we are doing that kind of thing? Oh, this thing's broken or this doesn't work very well or no, we can't get chat and our support system to work well together. So this is the service we're going to provide you with. And that's that. That's right. right. I mean, the, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's that, right? You know, and we yeah, even do it yeah. internally with our teams. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, 
we yeah. use, you know, in, in many cases, what we've done is instead of getting innovative about how we use remote work, right, or yeah. Zoom meetings or, yeah. you know, all the things we're doing, all we've done is basically say, ah, just, just more, you know, it's, it, it's, we haven't changed the nature of the meetings we're having and gotten and, and doing more interesting or innovative or creative things with those meetings. We've just shifted yeah. everything because it's easy to the, to, yeah. to less, which is a less, you know, human experience on zoom or, you know, virtual. And, yeah. and it's, it's when we have to make those changes, when we have to do more with less, it's literally about where do we put the emphasis, right? You know, are we focused yeah. on the less? In other words, are we focused on how we're going to actually do more activity, do more stuff, yeah. be, but we don't have the same resources we used to? Yeah. Or are we saying we can do more even though we're going to get less, right? We, we, ab we have that capability. We have the yeah. creativity. We have the innovative idea. And so it's just about not defaulting into a decision. It's about using that opportunity of do more with less to actually yeah. do more interesting things. Yeah, I think do more with less. Isn't that the watchword or the phrase for marketing automation? Just thinking about it, right? It's just, oh, it's fine. We can just, we can do, we can set this thing on its automation and automatically email a million people and get a 0.1% return rate, but it's with less. <laughs> right so that's the actual doing more with less isn't it the, these are the kinds of things we do as marketers where that's right we're degrading the surface but we're doing more yes yeah, exactly yes oh, i can see that well that's excellent thank you very much robert as usual i'm inspired um and if other people want to get inspired and uh they, they're looking to read some of maybe your thoughts where might they find those well they might find them in our website which is contentadvisory.net Splendid. And uh, when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you, Robert? They're going to find us all over the place, really. I mean, they'll find me on LinkedIn, uh, which is my social media network of choice. Um, and then, of course, on Twitter as well. Splendid. And uh, Experience Advisors, how's that going? It's going very well. Thank you for asking. It's mm -hmm. um, You're a part of it, so that's a wonderful thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, we've yes. got a, a lot of different strategists and storytellers and basically people who are involved in creating customer experiences at varying degrees coming in and talking about a bunch of stuff and the community is just getting started. And so, yeah, if anybody wants to come and look and apply, if they feel like it, it's experienceadvisors.io. Splendid. Well, as you know, I'm there and uh, I've actually talked about it a little bit on the show this week because I wrote an article based on our little get together. Yeah, great. Fantastic. So, uh, yeah. So, but most importantly, aside from meeting you in Experience Advisors, will I see you in the virtual bar next week? Ah, uh, so? you will indeed. I look forward to it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Robert. Doing more with Lester. And as this is a shorter show this week, I guess we did the same thing. So that's a wrap on episode 124 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks again to Jeff and Robert for sharing their insight. Please say hello to them. I'll include all their links in the show notes, which you can find on your favorite podcast app or rockstarcmo.com, where you can also find all our previous episodes. But most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and driving along with us. So, does the world need another Ethic Marketing Podcast? Please let us know on the socials or drop a rating or a review in your favourite podcast app. Or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. 
Next week, Jeff is back in the marketing studio. I go backstage with CEO of Loomly and Sendable, Caitlin Sorensen, and Robert will be back in our virtual bar. Until then, have a great week. And I hope you'll again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.